Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about the glorious drink called beer. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Hey guys, so you may have noticed there's a bit of a gap and that we're down a person right now. Uh, we're going to go ahead and squeeze in a quick news briefing uh, episode here because things have not been going perfectly for us at the uh, Have a Drink side of things. But we didn't want to leave you all without anything. We will be getting the next full episode up as soon as possible. But there is a lot of news going on, so we're just going to squeeze some stuff in real quick. Yes, the next episode should be on schedule to come out like it would normally. So it'll be out uh, next week. But yeah, and beyond that, we're after this, it'll be regularly scheduled programming. Until New Year's, and but we have things to talk about for that. Yeah. All right, so we'll go ahead and jump into these little news bits, uh, kind of news, kind of just talking points. Uh, a lot of breweries have been releasing their 2017 brewing schedules, or at least the release schedules. And we'll go ahead and jump in and start talking about one of the big players here, uh, New Belgium Brewing. So they, I couldn't find like the full release schedule, but they've announced an entire new or a revamped version of their line of beers and it's hitting shelves now so if you have like a really a really dependable bottle shop they may already have some of this new series on shelves so it's starting off with it's voodoo it seems to be a lot of these beers at least the first few are the voodoo ranger line it's an ipa series yes oh, and we're all shocked delicious. about it <laughs> yeah as casey was saying these are look looking really good uh We'll start with the first one here, the Voodoo Ranger IPA. Bursting with tropical aromas and juicy fruit flavors from Mosaic and Amarillo hops, this golden IPA is perfectly bitter with a refreshing finish. 7% ABV and 52 IBUs. It's going to be available in 12-ounce bottles and cans. Hmm. 7% IPA that, uh, with the Mosaic, that sounds delicious right there. I'd be all over that beer. Yeah, I can't. I really can't wait to try that one. Uh, we'll go ahead and slide on down. Uh, we have the next in the Voodoo Rangers, uh, the Imperial IPA, a bold Imperial IPA with a rare blend of Mosaic, Calypso, Bravo, and Delta hops creates an explosion of fresh-cut pine and citrus flavors, 9% ABV and 85 IBUs, available in 12-ounce bottles and on draft. That one won't be in cans. I'm kind of fine with that. These labels are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> with that one, the Calypso is one that I hadn't had before, or at least that don't really remember it. But um, apple, earthy tea, and pear, mm. dual purpose hops. So I'm okay with that. I am. Yeah, that's from their description. You know, fresh cut pine and citrus flavors. I love the piney, citrusy Imperial IPAs. So yeah, like the Doctor Rudy that we had. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Doctor Rudy with. Uh, the Rudy Hops, as the name said. But yeah, uh, I'm all in on that. I can't wait to try that one. That's going to be absolutely fantastic. Uh, this next beer, I mean, I'm all, this is out of all of these, this is the one that I want the most. Huh. Well, this one is also already on shelves up here. Uh, I caught it in uh, the blog post from Cappy's, one of our bottle shops, that this one's on shelves now. Uh, the Voodoo Ranger 8 Hop Ale. A brilliantly balanced pale ale packed with citrus and tropical fruit flavors from eight different hops. 5.5% ABV, 35 IBUs, available in 12-ounce bottles and cans and draft. 
So that one's going to be everywhere. Sounds amazing. And I like how balanced it's sounding. Like they're, they packed the flavor in there without throwing the IBUs and alcohol through the roof. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's, I mean, it doesn't sound like it would be that bitter, but just kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it'll be a good, flavorful, sessionable pale ale. That's if it's got if you get this fresh, I'm sure that's going to have a huge aroma to it. Oh yeah, I didn't didn't even think about that. Smell that baby for days. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on down. Uh, that's those were the all the ones in the Voodoo Ranger line that they've got going now, and we'll move on to the next ones. We've got New Belgium Day Blazer. Easy going ale. A refreshing golden ale with a slightly sweet, crisp finish and notes of honeycomb. Oh. 4.8% ABV available in 12, 15, and 24 packs. 12 ounce can of 12 ounce cans for the first time ever from New Belgium. 24 ounce single cans. So you can get a 20, 24 pack of this. That. Hmm. I. Mm. It sounds good, but I always worry about honey because, like, when stuff's too sweet, I can't deal with it. So this one won't be sweet, I'm pretty sure. That honey – first off, the fact that it says honeycomb instead of honey, right. I'm, I'm a little turned off on that because I'm pretty sure it probably just has a note of honey, and honeycomb looked better whenever – because every beer puts in there honey, but honeycomb, that looks a little different. Um, but the fact that it's a crisp finish – with only that slightly sweet flavor to it. I think it's going to be like an, their Bud Light or Budweiser beer mm. for the summer. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the light refreshing just, yeah. And the 24, I mean, the yeah, the 24 pack. It's going to be meant like this. you're taking this to the beach, you know? Yeah, or maybe, maybe spring or, uh, or, you know, but it's this is going to be really good and refreshing. I think a lot of these next ones coming up are going to be spring-summer beers. This next one, I'm not going to be able to drink. And, like, as of next year, hopefully, if everything goes right, we're getting, can- like, a big pack of this for me to save and drink at we'll a later time. We'll get it fresh for you when it comes out again. Don't We're not going to hold on to this one because that... I think Who knows if it's it. coming out again? Anyway, Citradelic, <laughs> it seems... I guess they're going to expand on that line because uh, they've announced Citradelic Exotic Lime Ale. I'm so excited. A crisp golden <laughs> ale bursting with juicy Persian lime, fresh coriander, and a hint... I'm kind of turned off by that. And a hint of cracked black pepper. I'm, turn, I'm turn frightened of the, the coriander. Pepper or the coriander? Coriander. Uh, we've had... Oh. We had a bad experience with something that had coriander in it, and I don't remember what it was now. It was the New Holland Dunes. Oh, God, yes. So, it tastes like with cor- water. With coriander, you either kind of taste it... It's, it's a cilantro, but you yeah. kind of either taste it as... A, um, a really cilantro flavor. You can you can taste one side like a really parsley sort of flavor to it, um, but on the other side, it it can actually taste soapy. That's so what I, I get with cilantro. Is. Like that, I'm not a huge fan of cilantro. I'll eat it in yeah. my chipotle. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's it's kind of where it stops. In that other one, that dunes only like the soapiness is what came out, and it tasted like dirty dishwater or awful. pond water. It was just not good. So I'm, I, I'm excited for the lime part of this because I'm about some limes, but I I'm not. And and honestly, the lime with the pepper sounds mm-hmm. interesting, but the rest, like the coriander part, frightens me just a bit. And then the next beer. Oh, oh. yes. Uh, wait, the uh, Exotic Limes, 5.3% ABV. Oh. It'll be in 12-ounce bottles only. 
All right. So the next one from New Belgium is Tartastic Lemon Ginger Sour Ale. A refreshing tank soured ale with the lip-tingling sweet and sour flavors of lemon and ginger. Uh, it's only going to be 4.8% ABV and available in 12-ounce bottles and cans as well as on draft. Mm. I think this sounds great. They yeah. lost me at ginger. Right. I, can't, oh, I, can't, I, just, I just can't. <laughs> I think that one's going to be really good. I'm excited to try that. Depends on how sour this is. If it's just slightly sour, I don't know if I'll go for it. Well, the, it's got that like, yeah. Well, with the name, I'm they're like you're hoping they're going to swing for the fences and go all in, <laughs> like so that you try it and you're like, oh. But the ginger's going to tone it down, you know. Mm. A little spiciness in there too. All right, and our next one here, uh, which I'm already wondering if they have a pilsner. Yes, they do. Uh, New Belgium Bohemian Pilsner. But it's spelled funny. Oh, that's bothering me. <laughs> Elegant, elegantly simple and crisp. This pilsner is clean and easy drinking with a light, spicy, noble hop bite. Four point eight percent ABV, available in twelve ounce bottles. Uh, new beers will release now through mid January, so wow. all these are coming in the immediate future. Oh, I see what they've done here. It's pilsner because the beer originally it came from Pilsen, P I L. Okay. Okay. I was like, yeah. this has got to be some kind of traditional spelling or something. <laughs> I see what they've done here. Um, and then the Bohemian style that that's going to have um, does it say in there the noble hops that'll have are uh, yeah are spicy noble hops the same that's in like Pilsner or Kell. Okay. Yeah, because their other Pilsner is the Blue Paddle, uh, which is very so, much in the vein of considering the paddles are painted blue on the label. This one's going to be a lot hoppier, most likely. It'll mm-hmm. probably be. It doesn't say the hoppiness there, but it'll probably be one of those that's up in the 35 to 45, somewhere in there probably. Awesome. So, yeah, we didn't have a full uh, release schedule for them, but we did have all these awesome new beers coming our way, like now-ish. I did see just on a, you know, click down there at the bottom of the story for a few more that they have released already. And the other one was um, something that interested me. was the single malt and single hop beer, what they call smash beer. Mm. So you may be starting to keg only line of uh, single malt single hop experimentals which would be really cool to see because you get literally one hop and one malt it's the simplest way to make a beer and uh, you get to taste exactly what those two things look uh, taste like that's oh yeah that's awesome definitely looking for that all right right. let's move on to the next one Uh, another big heavy hitter in craft uh, founders have released their 2017 uh, release schedule did I say release again? Maybe. We'll find out. But uh, first off, there were a few noticeable things missing when they released this calendar. And uh, it kind of signaled that Devil Dancer is going away. And I'm kind of not surprised because every store I've been to has tons and tons of it piled up on shelves and in the back. No one will buy it. Hmm. Which one is that? Devil Dancer, twelve yeah. uh, percent uh, Imperial IPA. So it was it was never really a huge hit. Well, I mean, it, it might have been a huge hit in the past, but not this year. Yeah, it's I I've not seen it go off shelves, and because of that, I've kind of steered away from it. <laughs> like I've always seen plenty of it on the shelf, and kind of frightened me. So yeah, also uh, going over the calendar, uh, you're gonna see the return of pretty much all the favorites from. 
founders uh, at their exact same times. It seems uh, PC Pills will be coming back. That one was pretty good, I've got to say. I liked it. Uh, Azaka, which is already back in 15 packs of cans. I love that stuff. Oh, that's my favorite IPA. Although their all-day IPA is pretty great, too. Yeah. Uh, the Nitro series is going to continue to be year-round, and they're going to have their staples year-round, all-day IPA, Centennial IPA, Dirty Bastard, uh, the Porter, the Rubeus, and Red's Rye IPA, which is only available on draft. But away from that, because there are a few things I didn't just mention that you're going, oh, what about these? Well, they also unveiled their new Barrel-Aged series. So, I'm excited. Yes, uh, the new Barrel-Aged series. They said everyone's already heard of the Fruitwood that's coming up. That'll be the first in this series, and of course, uh, KBS and Backwoods Bastard are going to be included in this series. It, I guess this is taking the place of the Backstage series? Mm. I would say. Because that was always kind of a loose thing that you never saw a lot of beers released under. But there's only the three of the total, what, six there so we see we know half of them and one of them is the brand new fruitwood which sounds delicious can i say uh that should be coming out very soon it's uh cherry ale aged in maple syrup bourbon barrels i don't even know what to do with that like <laughs> it it sounds like all those things together sound fantastic but at the same time i'm worried that it's going to be really sweet yeah and uh, go ahead the more I look at this, they probably will not get rid of the Backstage series. Um, Backstage was the, the series that came out in mostly 750 milliliter bottles, and these are these tend to be the ones that come out in like 12 ounces. So, oh, so that's the other big thing. All these beers will be available in uh, 12 ounces and in bombers. Mm. All because they show behind each of them the 12 ounces oh, and yeah. the bombers. Nice. And it even says that that's how they're going to be available. So that means this year you're going to see KBS probably in 12 ounces and bombers That'll available. That'll be interesting. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe then. So that'll be really cool. But one thing I was like, oh, I wonder if it's going to be in there. The Lizard of Cause that came out this year. It's nowhere on the brew schedule and it's not part of this Barrel Age series. So it makes me think that might just be a one-off or the initial, uh, I won't call it bad press, but uh, negative reviews of Lizard of Cause may may have heard it, and they may not brew it again. Because from I've I've got a bottle, haven't cracked it yet. Maybe a New Year's Eve thing. But everything I've heard is that it's just a jumbled mess of flavors, and nothing really, nothing's really able to click and come out very well. That's unfortunate. And everyone's be like, oh yeah, it sounds awesome on paper, but may not come out in the execution. But yeah, I'm excited to see what these other three barrel-aged beers coming from Founders this year are going to be. And this is all thanks to their expansion, where they just opened up that brand new barrel-aging facility. That's all they're doing there. They'll have a lot of room. A lot of expansion. Oh yeah, and that was all made possible from uh, like a tax credit. (laughs) (laughs) So they put the entire thing towards it, so it's going to be awesome. I just keep looking at that fruit wood, and I, I want it. I want it yeah. now. This is one of those series that I, I would like to... I mean, everything here has been barrel-aged, but I would like to age at least do a two-year flight of it. 
you know. And I'm glad to see that the Backwoods Bastard and KBS aren't gone because, well, number one, those are two highly sought after beers, but also I've saved up a couple of years of them now so we <laughs> right. can do a flight. Yeah. Yeah, we both uh, together, we have quite a bunch. <laughs> quite a bunch. <laughs> All right, we'll roll into uh, one of these last big ones to get released, uh, Dogfish Head. So, a bunch of big things from this, but the immediate takeaway I got from looking at it is there are no ancient ales. Hmm. So, someone can maybe tell me if I'm just missing them? Oh, the, uh, the Midas Touch is on there. Well, Midas Touch is constant year-round. Oh, okay. Well, it's technically an ancient ale. But I, I know what you mean. Never mind. Uh, yeah, all the special every now and then. So there, do, there doesn't seem to be any. You know, they may not have released the entire schedule either. So they may have some play a little bit later on when they decide, okay, well, what we're going to do is we, we've discovered this new recipe and now we're going to make it, you know? Right, yeah. I've already been seeing some posts on blogs about the next in the series, but I just didn't see anything about it on here. So I was... I didn't know what was going to happen with that. I mean, there's still the one that was brewed with the chicha. I'm still curious about. Not uh, 100% on eating the, you know, it's fermented with human spit, but. Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, but Bob there were. not be on that. <laughs> yeah. Bob was like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> so a lot of the beers they introduced this year are going to be around for quite a while. Uh, Sequench Ale is going to be around for, what, like nine months of the year now? I rather enjoyed that one. It's I'm, be I'm pretty happy about that. April through December. So that's good. And uh, Flesh and Blood IPA, which was my favorite of the Blood Orange IPAs that all like flooded the market this year. That one was my absolute favorite, and it's going to be available 11 months out of the year. Yeah, I've so, still seen that at Party Source, so it's definitely still hanging out. It's going to basically be a year-round brew for them, which I think is awesome. Because if you want to go to a good fruited IPA, I think that one's a home run hitter. Um the Palo Santo, um, I'm kind of surprised that that I didn't realize it was a full year or if it got moved there this year because that one's almost like a something that's vintage that you can age because it's so high in, in ABV and yeah, I as think far it, as the aging goes, it would be good. I think they are, they just moved it this year because I'm not – I don't think I've seen it on shelves for a little bit or at least it might not be stocked around me. Mm-hmm. Um, your seasonal drink music. Oh, beer drink music too. I've heard, uh, heard some mumblings that uh, it is going to be a completely different beer this time, hmm. but they are keeping the series around. I don't know about it. Yeah, I can't I remember. Not. Can't remember what it was, but yeah, in the seasonals you have uh, romantic chemistry. I saw that one this past time. Didn't try it. You have your uh, pumpkin ale, and then sadly, because I really liked it. They will not be doing beer for breakfast this coming year again. So those of us who enjoyed the Scrapple Stout uh, will be SOL. But instead, we are getting a post-boil IPA. So this is weird. For their winter season. Um, this is the the whole... The whole concept behind this is that they don't add any hops at all during the boil, which is where you get bitterness and they're just putting them in all after boil. So I don't know how they're getting bitterness out of this unless they're just trying to keep it hot without boiling or if they're like just throwing in so many hops, even that little steep afterwards will will add some bitterness to it. So an IPA needs to be bitter, or, or should be, I guess. Um, but I don't know how they're going to do that with post-boil. And if that's the case, 
this thing will be packed with flavor and aroma. Oh yeah, that's. I'm still excited. Grant, I mean, I had finally had the beer for breakfast, and I, I mean, it tastes odd. There is definitely like a pork quality to that beer. <laughs> for those of you who haven't had the chance to get it, I highly suggest if you know somewhere that's doing single bottles of it, snag one. A, a full six pack's a little on the pricey side. You don't want to be paying ten, eleven bucks for you know a chance that you're going to not like it, especially on something like that. But if you can score well, it's single, dogfish head, so it's probably fifteen bucks. Oh, yeah. yeah. But if you can score a single bottle, I mean, snag that baby up and give it a shot. Now we, I think we did like the saison du boeuf. Um, that was, and that's that's on there still. And then, um, worldwide, the Festina peach. The which one? Festina peach. Ah, yes. That one's one of my favorites every year. Or at I've least, not at had least that. the past two years. Uh, I think they still had four packs at hmm. Party Source. I, I'm happy about the uh, Worldwide Stout still being on there also. We haven't even cracked our bottles from this year, but yeah, uh, they, uh, this year was just a standard Worldwide Stout. Next year, they will not be releasing uh, your base Worldwide Stout. It is going to be an oak-aged vanilla Worldwide Stout. Oh, no. Which I have a feeling <laughs> the shops around here that got Worldwide sat on a ton of it. I think you could probably still get four-packs if you're willing to throw down the 35 bucks for a four-pack. And the other thing is the Pennsylvania tuxedo, which we never got to try, but um, that it just sounds out, good. It is about. <laughs> if, huh? you, if you want some, we can go get some. It is around. So do you know what the Pennsylvania tuxedo is? Because I had no idea there for a second. Uh, it, it says... Uh, or are we talking about the beer? Spruce-infused pale ale. I think Chris went, went with the one that I was actually looking for on there was the, the plaid, like a plaid shirt. Is the Pennsylvania tuxedo? Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm looking like on down the list. It's got a little picture of the bottle there. Yeah, it's got the guys. Oh, plaid I didn't look down. Okay, that makes sense. It's fantastic. Huh. Yeah, it's a great it's label. Nice. A lot of their labels are have gotten really good, actually. Yeah, there's your spruce infused. So um, that'd be you, interesting. That's all for you, Brittany. <laughs> but yeah, and we're, we're also this year going to see the big influx of canned beers from Dogfish. Because you should be seeing them pop up in your markets. If not already, then very soon. 60-minute uh, and 90-minute IPAs are both in cans already. And it looks like they're, I mean, they have plans to can just about all of it. I'm surprised they don't have more. It's its interesting. I mean, you have a lot of the local breweries who went straight to cans. and Or, or some that only do cans. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's obviously the best, the, the best preservation and shipping method. <laughs> I mean... And and probably less expensive. Most likely, if you're doing mass quantities, then yes. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're, and especially if you're wanting to do like the the twenty four packs that Founders is going to be doing, like that just makes sense. Hmm. Well, all right. There's some uh, some things to be looking forward to, and let's go ahead and move into one. So we just passed uh, repeal day for prohibition. That Yay. is yes. <laughs> That's appropriate. And can we just stop and say what the f untapped for not having a repeal day badge? Right. Of all the holidays that they keep missing and not putting badges out for, why was there no repeal day? It's uh, we're Same still time. kind of butt hurt about not getting a Cincinnati Beer Week badge. No, no the butt hurt is real. <laughs> it is very real. Everyone, everyone got one. Even Tyler, way the hell up there in Portland, you got one. <laughs> In Maine, let's be in, in Portland, Maine, but no, no, Cincinnati, Ohio, F us, right? F us. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But yeah, we've got uh, 10 surprising facts about prohibition in the U.S. Thought we'd run through this to kind of celebrate the repeal. And Casey, you want to go ahead and kick us off? Sure. Number 10, the dry boss who pushed prohibition through. So uh, this this goes through this list goes through ten facts of what was going on around um, around prohibition and one of the biggest things that some of the biggest surprising things I guess from the title you could you could read that but um, it, the first one is that there was an individual named Wayne Miller uh, born in sixty nine on a farm in eastern Ohio of course eastern Ohio. Um, <laughs> So uh, one one day, a drunken farm worker, as the story goes, accidentally speared young Wheeler's leg with a pitchfork, and that probably pushed him towards uh, this uh, this drive and hatred for drinking. So in '94, he was offered a full time position at the Anti Saloon League, where he became admired for his um, Wheelerism. Pressure politics, uh, like unlike other temperance groups, the Anti-Saloon League didn't stray from its main objective, the abolition of alcohol from American life. So some of these other groups may have went off and done other – went other avenues or had other reasons that they could go after prohibition. But this one kind of was just straight and narrow, as I'm sure they love being called, uh, <laughs> right towards prohibition. So this individual uh, – in it became known as the dry boss and uh he he basically worked extensively through churches and supported or opposed government candidates depending on what their position only it was a very you know one of those sort of uh, single group uh oh, what are they called the the individuals that go and and lobby congress lobbyists does your yeah. like lobbyists he like a single a issue lobbyist right and, that's uh, your scott moment yeah. <laughs> right um, and he became really powerful. So uh, he insisted on this in strict enforcement of prohibition and actually opposed the use of – so you, when when we had prohibition, like I was there, but you could get <laughs> denatured alcohol for cleaning or for uh, use as you know household use basically, stripping paint, whatever. He lobbied and opposed – against the use of like soap or a harmless substance that just tasted bad (laughs) and instead opted for going for poisonous chemicals. I'm saying that the person who drinks this industrial alcohol is committing deliberate suicide. Good Lord. (laughs) Only in Ohio, right? Yeah. Mm. (laughs) I do want to say for anyone who didn't listen to the Cincy Brewcast episode we were on, we do plan on doing a very much uh, more in-depth series on prohibition later on. Um, so that that is in the works. So these are just some random some tidbits uh, before that big, you know, history lesson essentially. All right, let me move on to number nine. Then I guess Chris, I'll do the next couple. Yeah, go for it. And pass off to you all after that. So number nine on the list: prohibition agents were paid less than garbage collectors, and I guess that's very self-explanatory. But basically, during the time, national income was about three thousand hundred forty-three bucks. Um, it rose to a little bit higher, maybe in the next year it rose maybe a hundred bucks. So the prohibition agent salary, however, ranged from about twelve hundred to twenty five hundred dollars. And that was per year, by the way. Um, the entry level salary for a prohibition was agent was about twenty three hundred dollars or two thirds the national average. Basically, whenever you look at um, your your garbage collectors, they earned more 
overall than your uh, your prohibition agent. So what that set up was a fact that they wanted to sure this was a job to them and they they were supposed to keep the uh, keep prohibition laws and what it ended up doing was giving them the opportunity to take bribes from bootleggers and moonshiners as they would actually um, kind of run a protection racket for these individuals. Yeah, it essentially helped set up the mob. (laughs) So through all these processes, we get to number eight. Um, Cow shoes, in quotes, were worn by bootleggers to cover up their footsteps. So these shoes look hilarious, and I want a pair. (laughs) (laughs) They look like hooves, just like wooden bricks that were put on the end of uh, a pair of loafers because I guess sneakers weren't a thing, but uh, just a pair of like black satin loafers. And uh, (laughs) when you step, it looks like you have cow feet. (laughs) So um, it would, it would, I guess deter and confuse agents and uh, kind of throw them off the trail. Jeez. That's fantastic. Probably came from a Sherlock Holmes story in which the villain's horse was shod with shoes that had imprinted a cow's hoof instead of uh, the horseshoe. Can you imagine if they got into a foot chase while they were wearing those? <laughs> oh my god. The footsteps would look awesome. The broken ankles. <laughs> yeah, because they're like double high heels, basically, or platform yeah. shoes with oh, yeah. space in the middle. <laughs> so number seven, wine for sacramental purposes was on the rise. Also, how much do you love those bottles in that picture? Right. Uh, <laughs> the Volstead Act, which was passed in the year before Prohibition began, granted federal agents permission to investigate and prosecute anyone who violated Prohibition liquor laws. But wines used for sacramental purposes were exempt, which meant that a limited amount of wine could be made at home and in wineries <laughs> to acquire sacramental wine. Some people went as far as to pose as priests and rabbis. In 1925, a study found that the demand for sacramental wine in the U.S. increased by 3 million liters, or 800,000 gallons, in a two-year period. Hmm. (laughs) Like, that wasn't a message to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So, another one about wine. (laughs) Number six, we have wine bricks saved many vinters from bankruptcy. So, uh, no longer able to make wine on the premises, many vintners started producing wine bricks, which were bricks of concentrated grape juice. (laughs) The target market was homebrewers who could dissolve and use these wine bricks in the privacy of their own homes. Since grape juice was not illegal under prohibition laws, wine bricks were truly an ingenious idea for vintners who didn't have the heart to tear down their vineyards. Uh, The law could do nothing because the bricks came with warnings, uh, that they were for non-alcoholic consumption only. Uh, disclaimers. Um, the packaging for wine bricks contained a note explaining how to dissolve the concentrate in four liters or a gallon of water. Then the instructions helpfully warned the consumer not to leave the jug in a cool cupboard for 21 days, or it would turn into wine. <laughs> uh, wine brick makers also included the flavors such as burgundy or... Uh, is that claret or... It's said a different way. I'm not sure. Um, sure. Sure. None of us drink wine. Um, that a person might encounter if they accidentally left the juice to ferment. That's amazing. I'm not going to say that you should do this, but if you were going to do it, this is maybe how. <laughs> I'm definitely saying you should do this. <laughs> yeah. 
then uh, number five, medical beer campaign was almost a success. Uh, this one's probably the, the best the best one. I don't know. Um, in 1921, a group of brewers, physicians, and avid alcohol consumers <laughs> tried to convince the U.S. Congress that beer, a substance that temperance leagues had associated with laziness, abandoned wives, and unemployment, was actually vital medicine. The so-called beer emergency was understood both by supporters and opponents to be a referendum on prohibition itself. Advocates of beer pointed to its relaxing qualities and nutritional value. One writer even suggested that beer was full of vitamins, that it actually saved the British race from extinction during the plague years. I'll vouch for that. <laughs> it's not totally wrong, but still. It was more of the alcohol in in there, making sure that there wasn't something else to kill you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, much to the annoyance of temperance league advocates, Attorney General A. Mitchell Palmer declared that the beverage clause in the 18th Amendment allowed doctors to prescribe beer at any time, under any circumstance, and in any quantity necessary. However, a few months after Palmer's decision, Congress took up the beer emergency bill and banned beer completely. By the end of 1921, the bill had become law, much to the dismay of avid beer proponents. Oh, man. Does that mean you couldn't be like, oh, I've got a terrible headache. The only the only thing <laughs> that can cure it is a keg of beer a week. Done. <laughs> Number four, prohibition administrators often drink booze themselves. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh, some prohibition administrators did not adhere to the law themselves. For example, Colonel Ned Green, the administrator of San Francisco, was suspended from his duties in 1926 after Alf Oftedel, the assistant commissioner of prohibition in charge of enforcement, came upon Green serving <laughs> seized liquor at private parties. Nice. Mm. Uh, later, Green amably, amably told reporters that he should have been suspended long ago <laughs> following Green's... Imbroglio? Oh. Imbroglio. Every administrator was asked to sign a pledge of abstinence, because I'm sure that worked as well. Yeah. Yep, that's about like the abstinence pledges you make with a <laughs> ring attached to it in uh, junior high. Yeah. I promise I will not touch myself or anyone else. <laughs> two months later, two months and a girlfriend later, well, that's gone. Uh, prohibition officials also helped bootleggers to withdraw whiskey from bonded warehouses. In fact, two prohibition administrators were accused of issuing withdrawal permits for a million dollars of booze in just one day. Oh boy. These are great. <laughs> uh, number three, breweries found innovative ways to keep business afloat. I think we already talked about this and other things, and it'll come up again and again. But uh, during World War One, the country was already moving towards uh, a full alcohol ban. Breweries could only produce beer that did not exceed an alcohol content of 2.75%, better known as near beer. When prohibition was put into effect, the number dropped to 0.5%. Ugh. Man, that just think of how much of that you would have to drink. It's like you can it. go and try it right now. We should, you know what? They make the the point five percent, the non alcoholic beer you get, like the O'Douls. Oh, that's the O'Douls. that's all point five percent alcohol. <sighs> wow. We could try this. <laughs> we may at some point. We could, couldn't we? <laughs> Indeed could, yes. Uh, not all brewers were content to stick with the production of near beer. Some like F.M. Schaefer Brewing Company and Nuyen's Liquors. 
uh, decided to start making dyes. This turned out to be a successful enterprise thanks to the shortage of dye in the country at the time and the fact that brewers' existing equipment could be converted into making dyes. Interestingly, some dye chemical plants also noticed the similarities between alcohol and dye production and started producing illegal booze. (laughs) Works both ways. (laughs) Other brewers, such as uh, Schlitz, Miller, and Paps, turned to producing malt extract, which was advertised as a cooking product. In reality, however, people bought it for the purpose of making their own beer or homebrew. So, I mean... (laughs) Started the homebrew revolution that early on. Yeah, I mean, what... What does this tell us that other everyone just turned around to like look just make it yourselves? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the like prior to the industrialization of the beer industry, I, you would have made it yourself at home. So yeah, you know it went went from home to the factory and then back to homes. It's that those old things like what was it said? How much uh, beer like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson made at their oh, own yeah. farms? Like just massive quantities for their personal consumption. <laughs> All right, number two. I like this next one. Yeah. yeah. Children's menus originated during Prohibition. <laughs> Before Prohibition, children rarely ate out. In fact, a child had to be relatively well off and a guest at a hotel to dine in public. Uh, restaurants not attached to hotels rarely served children because they got in the way of booze-induced adult fun. When Prohibition went into effect, the owners of restaurants and other hospitality establishments suddenly changed their minds, realizing that children could help to offset the lost liquor revenue. In 1921, the Waldorf Astoria in New York became the first establishment to produce a children's menu. Other restaurants soon followed, but these new menus meant the establishment of new limitation. Uh, At restaurants, children could no longer eat what their parents ate. Waldorf Astoria also popular because the invention of the Waldorf salad, according to lore, I guess. Oh well, they'll go to the grave saying that, but yeah. <laughs> and number one, cruise to nowhere or cruises to nowhere were popular uh, during Prohibition. You could legally drink alcohol outside the five-kilometer or three-mile territorial limit of the United States. As a result, booze cruises, or cruises to nowhere, became popular. As the name suggests, cruises to nowhere were short cruises with no particular destination, during which guests could indulge in alcohol to their heart's content. Famous liners like the... Yeah, I can't say that. Mm-hmm. Baron... Berengaria? Sure. <laughs> yeah, a, a bunch of them, including... Uh, Aquitania. Aquitania. Cunard? Cunard. Of the Cunard. So Cunard was the, the whole line uh, okay. that owned those two ships. Aquitania of Cunard. Okay. The Majestic of White Star. So White Star was the same that had, I think, Lusitania and um, oh, yeah. the yeah. Titanic was the same uh, yes. group as that. And then the Leviathan of the United States lines all offered these trips. Uh, some were simply weekend cruises into the Atlantic, while others also made stops in Nova Scotia or Bermuda. Short sailing trips to the Bahamas and Havana also became popular. Their clubs and other drinking establishments sprang up to cater to thirsty Americans. Yeah, I couldn't... You gotta think about that, like... The whole, uh... Trade of bringing in the tourists to do the, uh, things that are illegal in their country. It's probably one of the big things that sprang up right then. Right. 
Cuba, Cuba would have would have really had a lot. So you got the rum in uh, the Bahamas. I mean, like it would have been a great time to travel. Oh yes, indeed. All right, so that'll wrap those up, and we're gonna do a couple of quick untapped badges that are time sensitive. So we wanted to squeeze them in as quick as possible, so that if you hadn't already heard of them, you have the chance to go out there and get them. So, all right. Our first one up is going to be Hoppy Time with Yingling. Bursting with complex hop notes, Yingling's IPL leverages their experience of brewing a well-balanced lager, but expands their experience and flavor profiles by using a variety of delicious hops, including Bravo, Belma, Cascade, and Citra. The rich hoppy flavor of an IPA with a smooth session sessionable. Why did they have to space it like that? <laughs> Of, uh, of a lager makes this brew great for all occasions. Uh, celebrate the hoppiest time of the year. Huh? <laughs> With Yingling, and you'll earn a new badge. Simply check into one Yingling IPL during the month of December, and you'll unlock the Hoppy Time badge. Probably one I won't get. I haven't seen this anywhere around us. No. December's, you know, halfway through. <laughs> well, it is Yingling. Yeah, even at the stores near work that have a lot of yingling, I haven't seen it at all. The next one we have is the Clown Shoes Septennial Celebration. Why I, not, right? I have never freaking heard of this. Yeah, we looked at them because uh, they were going to be at the Winter Beer Fest last year. Oh. And their beer names are amazing. Okay. Clown Shoes also is one of those big sought-after secondary market beers, too. Like, it's the ones, they're the ones that, you know, somebody buys a, a bottle for five or six bucks and comes back and you're buying it for 30 bucks or 40 bucks. See, I am not picturing this at all for some reason. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So clown shoes is celebrating seven years of crafting some wildly delicious beers. The long story behind the name clown shoes started as a single humble beer and quickly grew into an entire brand. Uh, the mission to produce beer without pretension while being free and a little crazy clown shoes has become a well-known name throughout the craft beer community. Apparently, uh, <laughs> Join us in the Septennial Celebration by unlocking the brand new Clown Shoes Double Play Badge. Available during the month of December, this badge can be unlocked by simply checking in to two different beers from Clown Shoes. So that's pretty straightforward. I have, is there stuff? Like, do they just distribute here? No, or? Kentucky. Kentucky. It's, in, it's in Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cappy's has a whole bunch of Clown Shoes. Oh, stuff. of course they do. Don't you remember the, the labels like Ohio Unidragon and... Like they're really, amazing. I'm having the hardest time picturing it for some reason. Oh, they're great. Google it. If, if you don't know Clown Shoes beer, Google it. You'll love the labels and the names. So also real quick, uh, we just wanted to give a quick read over and kind of talk about uh, some of the other features on Untapped that some people may not know about and may not take advantage of. But they also give you uh, a global top beers so you can see the top things that people are checking into right now. And I think it's always interesting to look at this list because to see what's, you know, given the season and new things, like as soon as they come out, you can see how quickly it hits and charts. So uh, one we had this past weekend, which was amazing, but the top charting beer right now uh, globally is Stone's Enjoy By 12-25-16 Unfiltered IPA. That was great. I really like that one. Yeah, and I guess I mean it's gonna. I guess it'll chart quick because it's you know the enjoy buy. So yeah. 
you got to snag it up and drink it now. There's no holding on to that for a few weeks and waiting. Yeah, you have a little, uh, a little over a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, second on there, I mean, it's I guess it's where it's a holiday staple. You have the Celebration Ale from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, we haven't had it this year. Not this year, so. but we yeah we had it we had it a few of them last year. Um, it's I, I like their their winter stuff for the most part anyway. They have a really good um, uh, variety pack out right now for winter. And the next one was the Sam Adams Winter Lager, which is not surprising to see up here. I mean, that's just a winter staple. Uh, I I don't know. I find it kind of odd considering that everyone's constantly talking about Sam Adams declining sales. Well, so Sam Adams is definitely picking up some of the Budweiser drinkers and, and you know, standard American lager drinkers. But I think they're probably losing more beer drinkers to real craft beer yeah the crazy they're stuff picking up yeah yeah that's i mean so since... declining cells i could see them having declining cells but I, is it going to hurt them tremendously no maybe maybe not uh, i don't know about a year ago we talked about this on the show we talked about breweries like sam adams and uh founders and uh sierra nevada who were going to be hitting that wall where they were losing beer drinkers to the cooler beers so yeah, because there's always going to be a newer, cooler kid coming into the market. They're not as craft anymore, but at the same time, it's the th- it's the adventurous thing that you know the people branching out from Budweiser will go drink, and it's readily available pretty much everywhere. It's the weed to our crack. <laughs> in fact, sure. in fact, uh, real quick, the next one was the Stone Chocoveza. Absolutely, Which I was the beer I drank before we started the show. Oh, you finally First got to time. try it. It's glorious, Delicious. isn't it? Everything it's so well balanced. All the flavors are represented, and you're oh, a little too um, carbonated. If it had been a little bit less carbonated, I think I would have been happier. But it was good. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then Lizard of Cause, which we mentioned earlier, is trending on here, and I mean, I don't know. The buzz I've heard isn't the best. I haven't tried it yet. Bottles in there. Just got to find the time to crack her open. Uh, after that was the beer for breakfast from Dogfish, which. Again, if you like it, apparently people do, go grab it. I mean, grab up those sixers of it now if you've already ha- tried it and know you like it because it will not be back next year. That's not to say it won't ever come back. It's just next year they're going to do something different. Uh, then you have your breakfast out from Founders. I think we're nearing the end of fresh season for breakfast out because, yeah, it's, it's the end slash beginning of the year is the brew time. On that one. Then we've got Uh, Bourbon County Brand Stout. (laughs) Mm. I've still not... We haven't opened any of ours yet. Yeah. Casey, have you uh, broken down and gotten into any of yours? Only hit the... uh, The... Oh, which one? The Barley Wine. So it was was amazing. Um, That is one to drink fresh for sure. Because it doesn't need the hops and everything are very well balanced as it is. Um, it doesn't need to tame out or anything like that. It's it's delicious. Are we aging one of our stouts? Uh, we are aging all but one. Okay, okay. Yeah. it was a ridiculous question, but I thought I'd just pose that. Yeah. I've uh, got a right now. I've got a 2014, two 2015s, and four 2016s that wow. are are going right now. So. Nice. Or no, three 2016. So we've got enough to, to do some flights for the next, do like three-year flights if we want to do that. Mm. Good Lord. That would be great, yes. I 
can't wait. I really I want to try the uh, unpasteurized ones. Like, so mm. I really want to do that unpasteurized versus pasteurized. Yeah, that'll be a great one. Um, then Guinness draft. I mean, I guess yeah, Guinness is going to always hang in there. It's not. It's not St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> no, but it's on taps in every wing joint in every restaurant ever in this country Ooh. and across the world. Much like the Sam Adams. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get my wife to bring me home wings from uh, Buffalo Wild Wings on the way home. Oh, wings mm. would be awesome right now. Sounds good. So total number of Guinness drafts. Don't Have you clicked on it yet? I have I not. Know. Okay, let's play a game. On We know Untapped has a, a skew toward, um, toward the side of craft. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if we look at the Chukavesa, it's got 5,000 monthly, 5,000 check-ins this month. How many check-ins would Guinness have for the whole month? Oh, gosh. How many check-ins for Guinness? I'm going to say, I guess it was 5,000 for the month. I mean, 15,000. Close. 19,318. Oh, that's a so. bit. Yeah. I mean, that's global, but like, yeah. wow. <laughs> it's a lot of Guinness. And you know that half the people, well, more than half, probably 10% of the people that, that drink a Guinness probably checked into it. Maybe even less than that. The Bourbon County Stout is 9,000. Not too bad. A lot of people <laughs> got their hands on that. It up as soon as they get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's one final one on the list there, and I have no idea how to say the name of that brewery. <laughs> <laughs> Troigs? Sure. Troigs? I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, it's the Mad Elf. I've seen that beer absolutely everywhere. Oh, yeah. I have not partaken because I've been on a bit of a budget. Yeah, that one's got 9,000 check-ins as well. Mm-hmm. Probably because of its uh, availability. Nice. All right, guys. Well, uh, before we wrap it up, I believe at least a couple of us were drinking something. Yeah, Casey, what are you drinking? Yeah, so right now I'm doing the Rogue's uh, Hazelnut Brown Nectar. Um, We picked it up when we were getting ready to come up to your all's place. We had a a six-pack carrier, and we had picked up a Chocavesa and two of the uh, Enjoy Buys. And that six-pack carrier looked really empty. So we (laughs) went ahead and filled it out, Bob and I. Um, He picked out the Hazelnut Brown Ale. He also picked out a a lager from – I can't remember who it was from, but uh, we, we found a couple other beers that would fit well in there hmm. so um but it's it's tasty it's got a 90 let's see on the rate beer score it's got a 96 to 100 so 100 on the style and a 96 uh overall that's cr- i, I put say the that's style crazy. down as a nutted brown ale hmm. just because the style that they submitted under is the specialty beer category and that never tells you anything hmm. yeah um, one thing, so it's 6.2 ABV, 33 IBUs, really balanced well, great flavors. One of the thing that things that really took me back on it, though, was it's got the natural hazelnut flavor. So I understand Rogue, big brewery, they can't just buy in a couple of thousand pounds of, of hazelnut. hazelnuts to do it. But it would have made me feel a little bit better. The, the, it's not really the buying the hazelnuts that makes a difference. It's what do you do with a thousand pounds of hazelnut <laughs> after you have infused them with beer? Right. Sometimes it's just about practicalness, you know, yeah. uh, practicality. Um, I don't think I've ever had the regular hazelnut, but we, we've we had the, the that hazelnut, has, bleh, hazelnutly chocktabulous 
at Rogue. And that was pretty much the most amazing thing I've ever had. It's a blend of the hazelnut brown nectar with the chocolate stout. Oh, Which is coming out, isn't it? Yes, they are going to be releasing it nationally very soon. Um, I think I retweeted it. I'm so excited because as soon as we had that there... I, I didn't want to leave. He's like, no, I don't want to have to go the rest of my life without having this beer again. <laughs> All, right. All right. I was also uh, having a drink. It is also a brown ale. <laughs> uh, I'm drinking a Cabin Fever by New Holland Brewing. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh, 6.5% ABV. Not, not blowing it out there. Uh, IBU's 25. I could not find it on Rate Beer. They just have like a 2007 thing to check into it. Hmm. So I was leery to go with that. Um, it's pretty good as far as brown ales go. I mean, it's solid brown ale. A little bit of spice. I like They didn't really do anything to, you know, really push it out for, you know, like all these other winter seasonals are all spiced intensely with cinnamon and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. This one's not. They were just kind of like, brown ale. <laughs> but it's good a good brown ale goes a long way it, yeah. I mean it really does I like it. it, I mean it drinks well it has a good profile that changes while you're drinking it I mean while it's uh, fresh after you just poured it from the fridge cold has a real like cola quality and as it warms up a little it gets you know you start picking out more of those malts and things it's a lot better when we, um, one story about that beer that I do remember specifically is the, in fact, the last time I had that beer, we were brewing outside on a day that actually was snowing and it was like so cold, but it, it that beer was so good on that day. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and the nice, uh, snow covered cabin on it makes me want it to snow, <laughs> but then I work outside. So I don't want it to snow. The Northeast will get there. Your wish. Yeah. Yeah, they will get it by the foot. All um, right. And finally, uh, the, the one sort of announcement that we have. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like a pre-announcement, really. We're, we're going to be doing a live stream. We actually talked about it on uh, the last episode, I think. We're going to be doing a live stream on uh, DiamondClub.tv for New Year's Eve, uh, courtesy of the Ritual, Mid- Ritual Misery podcast. No, Ritual Midget podcast. <laughs> I don't know why I can't talk either. <laughs> I did so well on the... the <laughs> like reading from the screen for some reason um so uh we're gonna have more concrete details a bit later um hopefully next week's episode will have real things to say about this but we just wanted to give people a heads up that um we are securing a spot in the live stream it'll be our first video live stream too which is kind of frightening um (laughs) so we do know that much um and i think we do plan on on maybe doing some sort of tasting um and then the the stream itself will also be promoting um the extra life charity so um so that'll be great uh so uh, stay tuned for the next episode where we'll get more details out for that well i think that's going to wrap up this short little episode yes uh so the next week should be the the next full regular scheduled programming episode um until then check out the website haveadrinkshow.com Follow Have a Drink Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please go ahead and rate the show on iTunes. You can also write in, uh, even between now and the next time we record, <laughs> uh, to do um, any kind of feedback. Feedback at haveadrinkshow.com is the email address. You can also use the feedback page on the website. 
and uh, Twitter for myself. I don't think I'm on the side, but at Casey Price, follow me on Twitter or uh, Casey Price on any of those um, drinking apps out there, untapped and whatnot. Right, and then we, we we don't have your Twitter linked, but we do have your your Twitch channel linked on the site. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, absolutely. I think it's more chateau on that one. But yeah, I need to get on and do some more streams. <laughs> yes, you I've do. Been lazy on the uh, beer beer side. It's the, the busiest time of year. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, it is not a good time for anything right now. But yeah, guys, uh, all joking fun aside, I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly, especially with New Year's Eve coming up. <laughs> Um, uh, once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Casey Price. And I'm Christopher Walker. And we'll see you guys in, well, next time. <laughs> see you guys. <laughs>